I'd like to welcome everybody here this morning. Several that have been sick for a long period of time. Glad to see Jill Freeman and Lewis McCormick have both been down with the flu and pneumonia. Kay is still under the weather and hopefully we'll see her soon. But I know there's a lot of people who have been fussing with respiratory stuff for several weeks and glad to see some of you back and the rest of you I hope that you'll be well soon. The rest of us will keep sniffling I guess and that time of the year. Really didn't plan this because it was Thanksgiving a few weeks ago and didn't plan not to do it because it was Thanksgiving. A lot of times I think we uh, pick holidays and go opposite or go for it and really I just decided thankfulness is something that I need to work, work on. It's something that I think all of us have a struggle with and the, the intent of the lesson this morning is for all of us to think about how we look at life and are we really thankful like we should be. I'll do it now before I forget, but thanks to the song leaders and Coulter coming up with the invitation song. That was my list of songs, so if you uh, didn't like them, blame me, not them for the choices that they made. And I think in giving a list of the numbers to use, I got Mark all tongue-tied and twisted up on the numbers. But we're going to refer to those. They were chosen to go along with the idea of thankfulness. And we're not going to go over every song in detail. We'll make some mention of some of them. But as you catch a tune in your head from some of the songs that were very catchy, think about what they mean in relation to what we're going to talk about today. I didn't go count them all up and all the different variations of thankfulness and thanks. There's a lot of words that mean similar things. Needless to say, in the, in the King, New King James Bible, and King James as far as that goes, the word thankfulness, the idea of thankfulness, is spread all throughout it. It's from the Old Testament, the patriarchs, in the Mosaical Age, it's in the New Testament, it's everywhere in the Bible. God has always wanted us to be thankful. And it's not, just as we say faith isn't an emotion, it's not some magic thing that comes out of the sky and gives us this feeling. Thankfulness really isn't an emotion either. And I think sometimes we treat thankfulness like an emotion. Well, I can turn it off and on when something good happens to me. And if I wake up on the wrong side of the bed or things aren't going exactly right, or maybe I can just kind of treat it as this thing that just pops up and goes in and out of my life. Well, really, thankfulness is a command just like being faithful just like love, just like many other things um, that in the world's definition, they happen to us, God really expects us to be thankful no matter what. And sometimes that's easier said than done. We all go through the ups and downs of life. We have great times when all of a sudden we think that's because of the things that we did and the preparations that we make, and we forget to be thankful. We have the downside of life when it seems like the world's caving in on us, and we can go to depression, or we can go to pessimism, or we can go to negativity, and we forget that thankfulness is a command. But sometimes it's not easy, and so we're going to look at some things in the Bible today encourage you to think about your own life, your own experience, look at people around you. And when we leave here today, I hope as you're humming these songs, that you'll think about how thankful you should be. And not only that, that 
it will encourage all of us in some form or fashion to change the way we look at life and change the way that we act in life. Because that's ultimately what God wants us. He wants all these principles and concepts that we learn to affect the way that we live. And thankfulness is no different. Thankfulness calls us to live a life of service, as we'll get to a little bit later. And here's what I define. There's probably, I didn't go to the dictionary. I just kind of made this up. But here's what I want us to think about as we think about thankfulness. It should be a pervasive attitude. That means it's everywhere, all around us, all through us, attitude that infiltrates all of our thoughts and deeds. You know, we're quick to say it's not a holiday, and we know that, although we enjoyed eating turkey and having our family with us a few weeks ago. It's not an emotion. Thankfulness needs to be all wrapped up in who we are. It needs to be all wrapped up in the way that we think about people, the way we think about situations, the way we think about and do things. Sometimes we think of, of habits of being bad. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, we're all familiar. Evil company corrupts good habits. Well, we're talking about the opposite. We're talking about good habits. And sometimes we have a negative connotation of a habit, but thankfulness needs to be a habit. It needs to be our go-to. And for some of us, I guess you have to be my age or older to know who Pollyanna was. Pollyanna was a little girl, a Disney movie way back, but when Disney movies were kind of like regular movies instead of all this crazy stuff. And all sorts of bad things happened to her, and no matter what happened, she always had an optimistic saying. And so the, the saying around town became, well, you're just looking at it with the Pollyanna attitude, that somehow all this bad stuff happened, and you're just living in a fairy tale world. Thankfulness is not a fairy tale world. We, we talked last week, or Jay did last week, about hope. And that's kind of one of the foundations of why we can be thankful. We have a hope that nobody else has, and it's easy for us to get in the habit of not being thankful. So, kind of the opposite of what we normally think about habits being bad, let's cultivate a good habit. Cult a habit of being thankful and letting it be pervasive. Let it be all around the way that we think and act. The scripture we're going to read, it's, it's a long reading. I encourage you to get out your Bible and follow along. It'll be up on the PowerPoint. Is David's song of thanksgiving in 1 Chronicles 16. And we're going to read about 30 verses there. To kind of set the context of what's going on, the Ark of the Covenant had been lost for hundreds of years. That was the tablets of stone that God had written the Ten Commandments on. It was, I guess, culturally and as a nation and as a as a the people of God, that was their thing. That was the people of Israel, the chosen, the chosen uh, people of God. That was what something they could put their hands on as we are God's people. And this is what we're supposed to do. Well, maybe literally and figuratively, that had been lost for hundreds of years. Well, it had been found. And they had moved, moved it with all the pomp and circumstance that goes along with it, with the, the place that held it that was very ceremonial, was very fancy. They had moved it into a tabernacle, and David, being the artist that he was, the poet that he was, um, maybe the emotional person that he was, wrote a song about it. And this describes 
what he, what he did. And actually, this is the first telling of all or parts of Psalm 96, 105, parts of chapter Psalm 106. So David had returned the Ark of the Covenant. The people were excited. I don't know if they necessarily knew what to do with it because they had been hundreds of years without it. And we know the story of the children of Israel. They'd been up and down and following God, up and down in the success of their country. But David had brought them back to God. He had restored the national symbol back to them. And here's what he wrote. On that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him, sing praises, or sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations. A covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When you were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it, when they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. And let them say among the nation, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. 
Now, we're not going to go over every last detail of that reading, but you kind of get an idea of what David was thankful for. It wasn't just that this good event had happened, that the Ark of the Covenant showed back up and they had conquered it and got it, and now they could display it in its right place in the right kind of way. David was thankful, and it went to the very core of his being. And he praised God for physically delivering them, for spiritually delivering them, for making their enemies to, to fall into place, for giving them peaceful times, uh, for nature. Everything from top to bottom. And that's what, we're going to pick a few things out of this, these psalms, these songs, these poems, that hopefully will get us thinking how to be thankful. How we can incorporate it and make it part of our life. That it's not just something we sing about, it's not something that we pray in a few prayers a day as a matter of habit, but really, really, it, it motivates us to act. It motivates us and changes our attitude about things. So we're going we're gonna to look at three different ideas out of this reading. One of the things that David repeats over and over is to remember. He remembered, and he told us some of those things, all of the things that God did for the children of Israel in delivering them, promising them a land all the way back to Abraham, and delivering them into that land safely. In another portion, he talks about, I'm so thankful that I should sing and tell the story of how good God is. And finally, he says, because I am so thankful and God is so good, I need to give. And he gave several things in a list of what we need to give. That if we're really thankful, that if it's not an emotion... It's not a feeling that comes and goes at a whim or based on things all around us. What should we do and how should we give? And I'm sure you get a lot more things out of it, but let's focus on these three things this morning. And again, I, my goal always in, in giving examples is to get us all to think about ourselves. We, we sit here in church a, a lot of times and some of us know each other better than others. Some of us are family. But in the end, you know the things that have affected your life. Good things and bad things. And as you think back to those things, relate them to what we're talking about. Relate them to Scripture. And when you do that, Scripture comes to life. It's not just commands. It's just not something you hear over and over. But it really is something that, that takes on a meaning of, of something that is alive. 1 Chronicles 16 and 12 says, Remember His marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. And we sang the song this morning, Thank You, Lord. Very catchy tune, and I hope as you hum it, you're not just thinking about the catchy tune, but thank you, Lord. You know, that's what, and why we sang that, that's why we sing songs like that, that's the purpose of choosing it this morning. Philippians 4 and 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Memory is a very powerful thing. And for some of us, 
bad things dominate and haunt our memories. We've all had trauma. It was several months ago, uh, and, and maybe, maybe several years ago, I spoke about everybody's got a story. You know, every single one of us has had lots of things happen to us. The older we get, the more things have happened. And on both sides, more good things have happened and more bad things have happened. And ultimately, our memory is something we've got to control. You know, it doesn't negate bad things that have happened, but we have to figure out in the context of what God expects us to do, how do we harness all those things that have happened to us and turn them into something that makes us a positive member of God's kingdom? Remembering and being thankful and talking to God is a way to do that. You know, it's simply said, remember to pray. Remember God's faithfulness to people in the Bible. You know, the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, was given to us as an example so that we don't fall into the same traps they fall into. Or we can see what they did for good and we can try to imitate that. And God was faithful all the way through the Bible. It means that he did what he said he would do. Now, people didn't always do what they said they would do. And I'm guessing that back then people were a lot like us. When God promised something, we kind of expected to turn around and to have it happen in a matter of a few minutes or maybe by the end of the week or if we were really, you know, trying to be extra patient, maybe by the end of the month it would happen. And Joseph is brought to my mind. I talked about Joseph maybe the last time that I spoke and didn't particularly dwell on this reading, but did a little bit. Genesis 45, verse 4 through 8. I think this is a good example of remembering, by looking at people in the Bible, God's faithfulness to them. I'm not going to go back and repeat the whole story, but we know Joseph was turned into a captive at the age of around 17. And lots of things happened to him in his life, ups and downs and good and bad. He got drugged all around uh, the Middle East, from dungeons to king's households. And now we're about 30 years later. So I always try to relate it to me. At 17, I was all gung-ho and getting ready to go to college at AM. I was going to be a dyed-in-the-wool maroon, bleed maroon Aggie and didn't know much about life, right? <laughs> But I was excited and had a zeal for life. And by the age of 47, that was a dim memory. That was a long time ago. At 47, my children were all nearly grown. I had gone through being married, lots of stuff with kids. You know, all the things that happened in life in 30 years. And that's where Joseph was. He was 30 years down the road from being a 17-year-old ready to conquer the world, perhaps. And now he's 47 and experienced life. And his brothers had come to buy food since there was a famine in the land. And here's how he looked at life. And when I think of... It, it, the word thankfulness is not used. I didn't go back to the concordance and look up all 160-plus of those occurrences and, and go read verses about thankfulness. I wanted to read a story that really demonstrated the idea and the attitude of thankfulness. Because here's how Joseph looked at it. And Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, 
whom you sold into slavery, sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will neither be neither plowing or harvesting, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all the house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. We're not given any indication, but I wonder, as I'm thinking about Old Testament stories, particularly Joseph this morning, how many times in 30 years when he was, you know, for instance, when he was sitting in the dungeon after being falsely accused of raping his master's wife and he had done good for the people around him and he said, don't forget me. And he sat there for two years being forgotten. What went through his mind? Was he doubting God? Was he questioning what was the purpose and we're not giving any indication, but I'm guessing he was a lot like us. He had to rein his mind in from going down bad places, and he had to focus it on going to good places. And after 30 years, don't know if it was with the, the benefit of hindsight. Sometimes hindsight's nice. Sometimes it can haunt us. But what I know by reading here in Genesis is that Joseph looked on that as a good thing. 30 years later, he wasn't bitter at his brothers. 30 years later, he said, God had a purpose for my life. 30 years later, he was willing to keep doing what he needed to do to fill his part in God's plan. That's the idea of thankfulness. Not that any of us like bad stuff. I'm sure he didn't like being in jail. <laughs> jail wasn't... I've been in and out of jail the last five years more than I ever had before. And, and contrary to what I used to say, and probably what lots of you say, well, they just, it's like living in a Holiday Inn. It's not really like living in a Holiday Inn. I would, none of us would want to live there. You know, concrete floors and cold and stinky people and not so good of food. It's, it's not a pleasant place to be, but it's nothing <laughs> compared to what a jail was like or a dungeon was like prior to maybe even 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, you're talking about places that were filthy and human. And Joseph spent two years there for no reason. Man, that's a reason to be negative. It's a reason to blame God. It's a reason to do a lot of bad things, but he didn't. What he did is he remembered it in a way that allowed him to realize it had a purpose in God's plan. And I encourage us as we read the Bible, all of us have had things happen to us. Those shouldn't be excuses or reasons for us to say, I'm justified in my negativity. I'm justified in my skepticism. I'm justified in pessimism. I'm justified in, here's my favorite word, being a realist. All of those different ways that we justify really what boils down to being non-thankful. Because things happen to all of us. And, and when we look back at the stories in the Bible and we try to bring them to life, I think it, enc it encourages me, and I hope it encourages you, to realize, you know what, I'm not the first one that bad stuff's happened to. And I want to be like them and be able to see 
that fits in God's plan. And I want to come out doing what God wants after that's said and done, after we endure the heartaches. Remembering isn't just remembering people in the Bible. It's, it's seeing our brothers and sisters and seeing God's faithfulness in their life. And I'm going to apologize ahead of time because she's going to crawl under the pew <laughs> because I didn't rehearse it or ask permission. I was, I've decided a long time ago it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. What is somebody going to, not, not many people are going to say something now. I'm going to put a, a lady's name up here, and I don't know all the details, but all of us know somebody that's gone through hard stuff but yet came out on the other side as a great example for us because they realized that God was faithful and he was faithful to her life. Don't crawl under the bench. <laughs> I was a small child and I don't remember all the details. I didn't go back and get them, but I know that, that Ann and W.A. lost a daughter, a teenage daughter. I mean, I think about that to cancer. How miserable and how hard is that? Some of you out here have lost children. You've lost them as young, as teenagers. I just I thought this was a great example, and, and many others. And, and we can look at your lives and the way you've conducted yourself after, and as painful as that is for us looking from the outside in, I can only imagine how painful it is from the inside. But you know, a few years later, she lost her husband to cancer. W.A. that was an elder in our congregation. It's just like bam, bam. Sometimes we think we're the only ones getting bam, bammed. <laughs> but you know, through it all, she remained faithful to God because God was faithful to her. And I'm not saying that there weren't negative times or down times, but what I see is the result. And as I look through the pews today, don't see all of them here, but let's just say the... Uh, Go forth and multiply thing. Her family knows all about that. <laughs> and it's a blessing to her and a blessing to us because she didn't give up. And, and I draw strength from that because guess what? Some bad things have happened to me. But, you know, my sister made it through. And so have a lot of you. And as we think about other people, I think empathizing, it's hard for us to do that because if we haven't been in that spot, how can you know the deep pain that some of you have experienced? But what I can see is that she remained faithful. And that encourages me, no matter what happens, that I can do that too because she did. Somebody that was, you know, I like to say Joseph was like me, but he lived a few thousand years ago and maybe I can relate better to somebody that lives around me. Let's use the example of God's faithfulness in other people's lives. You know, think about God's faithfulness in your own life. Because chances are, if you're here now, God has seen you through hard times. And I'm going to add, add something here as well. Jacob was born with an undetected heart defect. Those of you that are my age and older knew that. Uh, we didn't know anything about it. We had sonogranule. Modern technology is more modern now than it was 30 years ago, I suppose, or 27 years ago. But we had had all the sonograms. Everything was rocking along. Everything was great. Had number two. Everything was good. And he's born about 8 in the morning. And literally three hours later, we're making plans to donate his organs. That's the spot that we were in. And we pretty much lost all hope of him living, obviously, 
things worked out. <laughs> Won't go into all the details and all the things that people did and all the prayers that were offered. But it was a very, very, very hard time. As some of you who have lost infants know how hard that is. Now, it worked out for us. For some people, it doesn't. And the thing to remember, just like Joseph, not every event has an immediate happy ending. But God is faithful. And we can see that in the Bible. We can see it in our brothers and sisters around us. And really, if we can step back from it, maybe not in the heat of the moment, if we can step back from it and get the benefit of hindsight, we see that God's faithful to us as well, even when bad things happen. I didn't put them, I don't know why I focused on the bad stuff, but you know, I can think back in my own life and, and remember how faithful God is. Uh, most of you remember when, we, when I moved off to A&M, I think people thought I was going off the edge of the world. I remember a few people telling me that, <laughs> not in a joking way. When we moved to the Midwest, where you know, there wasn't really church like we know it, probably not the wisest thing I ever did. Uh, I think people thought I really had moved off the end of the world by then. And then I moved to Oklahoma. <laughs> and ultimately, we ended up back in Plainview. And most of you, some of you may know the story, a few of you here know the story, but I ended up back, we ended up back here as a family, financially able to make it because Joe Allfield set up a deal where I could have a job. And I'll always be thankful for that to his family. They know it. Most of you don't know that story. The, the, the flip side of that story is it didn't necessarily work out like any of us wanted to. A couple years later, Leslie and I, she comes out of retirement, I call it. I don't know if raising babies till they're five or six is really retirement. Came, came back into the workforce, and we both became school teachers, which is probably not high on anybody's list of of uh, being successful. It sure wasn't in, in the engineering world that we came from. But you know what? It's been a great life. And I can't, can't really put words into how good it's been to have our kids raised here and the benefit that that had. And it's easy, if I'm not careful, to think of all the things I did or we did and not really be thankful for what God did because God's faithful in the good and the bad if we're willing to persevere. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You know, he just got through talking about the, the heroes of faith we called in, in Hebrews 11. I've attempted to do that in some sense, reading about Joseph, talking about a few examples here. Look at all the witnesses that we've got about how faithful God is. That's what the writer of Hebrews is is calling us to mind. Therefore, since there's all this stuff, all this body of evidence, all these witnesses, let us lay aside the weight, every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with patience, is what I grew up hearing. Endurance, maybe is a better word, because it takes endurance to run the race that is set before us. Sometimes we don't get an answer that we want like that. And it takes putting one foot in front of the other. But when we remember all these witnesses, that gives us a leg up on doing that. So, David wrote about seeing and telling. I'm sorry, about remembering. He also wrote about seeing and telling and giving. 
1 Chronicles 16 and 23, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. You know, he, and he talked a lot about telling and proclaiming how good God is. If we're really thankful and we get something really good, most of our first nature is to go talk about it. And that's what David said we need to do. If we're thankful, we need to sing about God's goodness and we need to tell other people about it. We sang, I will enter the gates with thanksgiving. He has made me glad this morning. Has he really made us glad? Are we entering life, not just church, not just when we're here together and been thankful, but do we enter his gates every day with thanksgiving? When you're thankful, you want to sing about it and tell others about it. We read the, the Great Commission lots of times, and you know that's our command to go and do but David says, really more than just it's a command we got to do, it's something we want to do because God has been so good. And we want other people to experience that goodness, that their lives can be made whole as well. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. What I find interesting, it's a step in it, but he didn't say go and baptize people, which is how I've read this scripture a lot, a lot of times. He said, go and make disciples of people. And he says, first, baptize them. And secondly, he says, teach them all the things he's commanded. And so all of us have a role to play in making disciples of people. You know, maybe our forte is not studying with people off the street or people we don't know or people who have a background in church. But, you know, being a disciple is a lifelong endeavor. You don't... Put in five years and you're a disciple first class and five more years and you're a disciple second class or move up the ranks like you would in the army. It's something we all work at till the day that we die. And we all have an obligation to each other to help each other be better disciples. A follower. A learner. And so we need to encourage each other and we all can. If you're thankful enough you'll find your spot in helping others be disciples or be better disciples. Too many times we want to say, and I always say we, me, well, that's somebody else's job. Oh, well, I think somebody else is doing that. Oh, I'm not very good at that. Oh, if they just take me and lead me by the hand and do it, well, then I could do it. And just keep going down the road. And ultimately, we all have a responsibility to make disciples in whatever form or fashion that we can. The command is to go do what you can. It is not an excuse for what I can't do. And when we're thankful enough, like David was, then that's something that we find a way to make happen. 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I like to think of myself as an ambassador. I'm not God. And you know what an ambassador is? Someone who speaks on behalf of, another, of a country to someone else who's not a member of that country or, or a citizen of that country. We are all citizens of God's kingdom. It's our responsibility. And when I think about being an ambassador, it's someone who tries to make people understand our country, our, our kingdom's point of view. And here's what he said the way that he thinks about it, Paul. I'm an ambassador. I'm a spokesman for Christ. 
And what I'm doing is begging, pleading, imploring people to be reconciled to God. You know, it's not a far look for most of us to see people that are hurting, people that are not in any kind of a relationship with God. And when I look at it, I'm thankful. I see the benefits of my, to my family selfishly. I see the benefits in other people's families. I see the benefits to our city and our country. And go down the list of what it does for everybody to be in a good relationship with God. If I'm thankful for that, don't I want other people to enjoy that? And so our job, I see my job as begging people to be reconciled to God. We're going to sing 737 as imitation song here in a few minutes. Seeking the lost, yes, kindly entreating. And you'll think about those words as we sing them. You know, that's one of the many things that we do. Seeking the lost, kindly entreating. Think about what God's done for you and how much it would be nice for other people to share in those blessings. And finally, if we're thankful enough, we will give. In the 28th and 29th verses of 1 Chronicles 16, Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You know, God is great. And we've had a number of lessons about His majesty and how wonderful and how awesome and deserving of our praise that He is. What Hosanna, when we sing those songs with some of the words we don't use, what those really mean, that we're praising and honoring God as the great giver that He is. We sang, Worthy is the Lamb this morning. Who else can we think of that's more deserving of our praise than Him? But it's more than just an attitude. It takes physical things as well. 2 Corinthians 9, 1-8. And again, it's an attitude and not a, not a belaboring the point. I think as a whole, the congregation is very generous. The reason I do read this and, and wanted to point it out, money is something that's easy to take control of all of us. If we don't have enough, or if we have too much, or if we want it too much, or if we don't want it enough, it causes all sorts of train wrecks in our life. And this helps us put it in perspective in the context of being thankful. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous, or it's really not necessary for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago. So he's writing back to people saying, hey, I've been bragging on you. How well, willing you were to, to give for this need. But he says, just in case, I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, not to mention we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. So he's trying to keep them out of a pickle is what he says. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. The opposite of thankfulness in my mind is being grudging. 
when we're really thankful. I mean, I've talked to several of you in some level of detail for many years, and I don't think you can really experience it till you've gone to a third world country and not in the, not in the hotel zone or the tourist center. But some of you have been to places where it really is third world. And for us, many, we've always lived in our nice, comfortable little shell. And we're such an affluent society. I'm not sure we're thankful for the small things. I mean, most of us don't have a care of when our next meal, where it was going to come from or when we're going to get one. Our pantry's not empty. We thought it was bad because... There weren't 24 rolls of toilet paper under the sink during COVID when it ran out at the stores. And I remember jokingly offering to sell some to somebody for $5 a roll. You know, it, it's a joke, but really we don't have a concept of what it means to be in need. And that's not to knock us. We shouldn't feel bad about that. But what we have to do is make sure it doesn't take us away from God, even in the small things, so that we're not generous and what generosity, the opposite, I guess, in my mind, what I'm thinking about is statements like, well, they live in the United States. If they really wanted something, they'd have it. Or think of the other deals, things that you've said. I've said them too. It's not about other people's response to our generosity. It's about our generosity towards God. And as he continues on this, I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. We know the analogy about farming. If you don't plant any seeds, you're not going to get any crop. If you plant a few seeds, you'll get a few crop. But if you plant a whole lot of seed, the odds are you're going to get a whole lot more return on your money. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, having always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And so I, I commend individuals and the congregation for being ready to share and always doing that when there's a need. I've said it many, many, many years. I've never seen a need presented that the need wasn't met. And I expect that to continue. But here's what happens. I think we can all see it. If we don't teach that to our kids... Here's what, here's what I had a conversation yesterday. Younger generations don't think it's really that big a deal to give. And you can think back to our parents and the generation maybe before them where they gave a lot of time. We're going to talk about time and money. That we get busy with the busyness of life. And we want our house to be so warm and so cold. And pretty soon money, it takes all the money to have the conveniences. And we get wrapped up in the cares of life as opposed to realizing that we need to give for others. Matthew 28, or Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. Not everybody's got money, but everybody has 168 hours a week. No matter who you are, no matter what stage of life, and stages of life are different. People have noticed, most of you know, my standard answer when somebody says, how am I, is I'm great and getting better for the last about six or eight weeks. I'm going to retire in three, three days. So I've got a whole lot more time. I will have a whole lot more time, Lord willing, than I had when I had two or three or four or five kids under the age of 10 or I had teenagers or I had a full, you know, all the things. So stages of life are different. So 
what I ask is each of you give a, an objective, honest evaluation of how you're using your time. If you're raising kids, that's your job. <laughs> so don't take this as you need to be doing something different than that. There's a lot of things we all need to be doing. Here's what I'm saying. If you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs, feeling sorry for yourself and saying there's nothing I can do, you need to look in the mirror and you need to go read this because it's for you. And busy people is who makes good Christians. Lazy people are people sitting around doing nothing. And, and I'm not going to the older people. There are people here that are probably listening in that are 90 or 100 years old. If the next... 43 years, or like the last three, you, you don't move near as fast at 100 as you do at 57. And we know that. Physically, things can happen. So it's not a saying you should go out and run races if you're in a spot where you physically can't. What this is, is an encouragement to do what you can do. And if you're sitting around wondering what you can do, there are a lot of people that can help you with that because everybody's got something to do. Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. They got a title. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We're not going to go kill ourselves for people like Jesus did, allow himself to be crucified. But every one of us has people that we can serve. Our family, our neighbor, our coworkers, strangers. Not everybody can help. You can't help everybody that has a need. But what God expects for us is for us to be thankful for what we've got and to realize it came from Him and to make somebody's life better. Anywhere. And if we're looking for that, the old saying of, well, I just don't know what to do, becomes meaningless because if you're looking for it, it's obvious. We need to be servants. A beautiful life. We sang that this morning. Each day I'll do is what I called it growing up. I loved it when I was a kid because it had a really neat bass lead. I think we all kind of probably were at some point... But when you really read the words of that song, when you meditate and allow it to teach us what we sang this morning, each day I'll do a golden deed by helping those who are in need. And if you read every verse of that song, there's a list that's about a mile long and goes all the way around dozens of different things that any one of us could do. We can pick out some of those things and that's what we need to do. That's what being thankful means is that it motivates us to give our time, to be a servant. Not a one-time deal so I can check off my list, but trying to make it part of us. Avoiding these things. When I make an excuse, well, it's just my nature to be grouchy or pessimistic or to look at negativity. We've talked about affluence and the danger that it, it presents to us. We didn't talk about being self-made. That's been, we've talked about that over the last couple of years, that somehow we think because we live in America and I did this and I did that, that I'm somebody. And it's something we have to guard against more where we live than in lots of places maybe. You know, sometimes life circumstances get us thinking bitter thoughts. And I encourage you, we're going to sing 
Count Your Blessings or Went Upon Life's Billows as a closing song, but it's another one of those that just goes, if you read the words and think about the words, you can't help but think how much you've been blessed, no matter where you found yourself. And hopefully this morning as we think about thankfulness, you'll remember what God's done for you, how faithful He is, how faithful He's always been. You'll want to sing and tell the story of Jesus. You'll want to let others enjoy the blessings so they can be thankful like you are. And you'll be motivated to give your money, your time, your glory to God. If there's some way the church can assist you this morning, if you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders and you need help, or if you've never began the walk with Christ and would like to be baptized, we'd encourage you to do that. Please come while we stand and sing.